0: Um, Welcome to the UCCSC 2009. We'll be introducing our speakers for the Don't Panic uh, Real World Solutions. I would like to point out that we'll be handing out some of these evaluation sheets. Um, When this lecture is over, you can just go ahead and leave it right outside the door there, leave it on your seat, bring it up here, or hand it to me. I might be in the uh, rear near the exit and uh, we'll go ahead and collect them from you. Uh, Feedback's important because it helps us uh, evaluate the content that's being delivered. So let me introduce uh, these two gentlemen from uh, UC Irvine, uh, Kenny Lai and Jeffrey Chu. Hi, good afternoon. Um, As Ruben already said, my name is Kenny Lai. Jeff Chu, and we're here from the Network <laughs> and Academic Computing Services over at UC Irvine. Um, I am the lead developer for EUE IT, which is a dedicated IT team for our Division of Undergraduate Education. Um, we basically provide IT services. And
1: I'm Jeff Chu, and I'm the lead developer for EUE,
0: which is the for UCI. So today we're here to talk about um, web security more specifically about our experiences with attacks, um, what we've done to deal with these attacks, and what we plan on doing in the future to continue um, um, dealing with these attacks. Security is something, as you know, that's constantly evolving. As IT people, we're we're always in the position where um, the responsibility is on us to deal with these attacks Unfortunately, we're always one step behind. Attackers are always finding new ways to attack our system. Um, so our goal is to remain only one step behind as opposed to five or step five or six steps back. Um, Jeff and I are not security experts. I'm sure there's members of the audience who can talk extensively about security. We're application programmers, but we do have experiences with attacks and we hope that Today we can share with you um, our successes and our failures and hopefully we can all continue to learn together. So what exactly is application security? Um, Application security is a broad term, mainly because a web application lives on several tiers. Typically you have a web server, the database server, and finally the application itself. Um, Any vulnerability that exists in any of these tiers can potentially compromise your system, Um, there is no 100% way to protect any of these tiers. So the best thing we can do is just to make sure we have security built into each and every one of these so that if one layer fails, at least we'll have one or two other layers to help protect ourselves. Um, Today we're actually going to be focusing on the application side of things. Security is not a one-time thing, as we've learned. It's something we continually have to <laughs> learn about and continually implement. Um, there's real no silver bullet. We, we just have to continually make sure that we secure our applications. So the first thing I want to talk about is inputs. Um, inputs to an application come from a variety of sources. They can come from users, they can come from the database, web services, and other applications as well. Uh, these inputs, these inputs flow through the application, and ultimately they, they end up in different places. So, for example, a user could submit some data into your application. Your application will process it. It'll end up back, or it'll end up in the database, and uh, sometimes it'll be displayed right back to the user. So, um, there's, there's. There's a lot of interaction between all these components, so if you have data entering your system that is malicious, it could potentially have a large effect on, <coughs> on the application itself, as well as all the other components that are interacting with it. Um, so we call this type of data unsanit- unsanitized data or unsanitized inputs, and it can actually um, compromise your system in the following ways. Uh, these are just a few of the ways your application can be attacked, starting from the relatively harmless, but still embarrassing, improper HTML being displayed, all the way to the uh, potentially more crippling SQL injection and cross-site scripting. Um, not only can these last two attacks cripple your system, but they can, they can hurt your users as well. Um, and not just your users, but also your users' trust in your system. Um, a lot of users, once, you know, once their information has been leaked or once their system has been compromised because of your application, they, they may be a little hesitant to use your application again. So there could be a large business impact on, on, your, on your business if uh, your system is compromised. Um, so today I'm going to just give a brief synopsis on what SQL injection and cross-site scripting are just for those of you who aren't familiar with them. I'm not going to spend too much time. Um, For those of you who are curious about it, you can perform a Google search on any of these terms and you'll find um, a lot of information out there. So, SQL injection. What is SQL injection? Basically, it's caused when an attacker injects SQL code into your web application. This can be done, this is usually done uh, two ways. There's the get query string or the Form fields um, where they use the post request, and what what the attacker usually will do is they'll try to guess how your SQL statement is being formed in your application, and by guessing this, they're they're able to bypass and essentially hijack your SQL statement into doing other um, other perp- other acts. Um, so. Um, like this comic says, I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet, but um, Little Bobby Tables, his name has, has caused quite a concern for his school. Um, so why exactly does it wreak havoc? Well, like the comic said, his first name is um, the string that you see in line one over there. Um, line two is where the sequel statement is being formed. And line three is the combination of line one and line two, and it's the final statement that's executed on your SQL server. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with SQL, this will actually drop the table of students. Um, so just from this simple example alone, you can see how, um, how, easily, how easy it is for attackers to potentially take over your SQL statement and run whatever, they, whatever code they choose to. So cross-site scripting is the other attack that I mentioned. It's similar to SQL injection, in that um, malicious code is passed into the application through the GETS or POST request. Um, but it's different in that the attacker isn't really trying to damage your data. What they're trying to do is inject HTML or client-side scripts, such as um, JavaScript. And what this does is, if it is successfully saved into the database, um, if this is a application with a lot of users, it could potentially be this script could potentially be executed or displayed on on all the users' computers so they can do things like steal um, steal login information from your cookies they can um, they can use that information to log in to your bank account and and transfer money and all, all sorts of things really. Um, so about a year ago, we actually had a brush with cross-site scripting. Um, this attack was actually discovered when, when the users of this system, or actually the content managers of this system, they, they noticed uh, there was something wrong. Basically there was some slowness with the application. Uh, the HTML that was displayed was malformed. Uh, so finally they contacted the security team over at NAX and the security team. Took a look at the web logs, and they discovered that there was uh, basically an automated mass uh, SQL injection or a cross-site scripting attack being done on this application. Um, after looking at the database, we found uh, that string right there in the gray, and from the looks at, from the looks of it, it, looks like it was from Russia, and we we think that the purpose of this attack was not to damage our system or to steal any data. From the looks of it, this was an ad that the attackers just wanted to inject, basically for monetary purposes. They weren't really trying to damage anything. They were just trying to make money. So we were fortunate um, because this was a vulnerable application. And um, we, we actually view this attack as beneficial because it kind of brought to our attention the vulnerability of this application. And not only this one, but we, we actually had numerous other similarly built application stored on this particular web server. So what we decided to do was uh, we had to perform an audit because we knew these applications were insecure. Um, after doing the audit, we discovered there were 42 similar applications, and um, Actually, we there were many of these applications that we didn't even know existed. We didn't know whether they were in use anymore. These applications date back to, I would say, 10 years ago, some of them. Um, so we really didn't know what they were doing, but we knew that they were vulnerable. Um, given that we had limited resources, limited time, we couldn't just rush right in there and begin securing applications at random. We really had to do this in a systematic way. So what we did, we assigned each application with a risk rating, and we secured the application starting from the highest risk to the lowest. Um, I would say we spent total about a month doing this. It was it was long, it was arduous, but um, we we think that in the end it was worth the time and effort. Um, we'll, we'll actually take questions at the end. Um, we think it, it was worth the time and effort just because we didn't want to risk having an application that we didn't even know about getting hacked into and having to deal with the aftermath. Um, so it's, I mean, 42 was a lot of applications to to secure, um, and you know, th- these were applications that we we had some of them we had forgotten about um, prior to prior to the attack. I would say we were. Blissfully ignorant because these were applications that we never had problems with in the past. These are actually the most dangerous applications because they never um, they never caused any issues. So it was easy to just ignore them and to just cross our fingers and hope that nothing would ever happen to them. But we learned that that just isn't the case. Um, a lot of time was spent going back and securing the application. Like I said, it was it, I think it was well worth the effort. Um, not only that, but it it, it kind of forced us to take control of our web server. We had a lot of applications that were just living there, and this forced us to catalog everything that was there um, and get rid of old ones that were no longer in use. All
1: right. So thanks to Kenny, now we know we really can't trust any of the input our users give us what about our users themselves? Um, can we actually trust them? Um, we used to tell ourselves that, yeah, of course, our users are smart. They have a lot on the lines. Their careers are on the lines. Um, why would they even bother risking it? Well, did they end up proving us wrong? Um, let me give you some background first about what actually happened. Um, EEE is UCI's course management system. Um, it runs on the LAMP stack, which means Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP. Um, and Um, EE provides our instructors with several tools to help them better teach and instruct their students. Um, One of them is the course websites. Um, Now, these course websites are actual course websites. Um, It allows them to upload any sort of content they want, and we will host them from our very own servers. Um, If you haven't already caught on to it, what that means is that we are providing our users with PHP. This wasn't quite intended, nor did we advertise it. As a matter of fact, we even had plans on removing it at some point. But the priority of that was lower due to the fact that we believe that our users, that if they were to find out about PHP, um, we wouldn't bother. Um, they wouldn't bother going off and doing something malicious with it. So as it turned out, um, we received notice one day that one of our pages was displaying ads. I won't go into too much details about it, but let's just say this particular form of mal enhancement wasn't exactly educationally founded. So, anyways. Um, we tracked down the IP to the first access to the ad, And that led us to another PHP script, which was hosted on one of our instructor's websites. Um, When we looked at the actual content of the PHP script, that's about when it came really clear to us that the proverbial expletive had just hit the fan. So what did the script do? It allowed the user to more or less get into our server and have file system access as our web server. This meant that he could create and edit files. This meant you could search for files. So it was all just a very, very bad thing to have. So we're back to our original question. Does that mean our users is evil? Well, in this particular case, I'm happy to say no. Um, we could still trust in some of our users' um, integrity. But this whole deal brought into light a far worse problem and a far more common problem. Our users aren't who they say they are. Um, you can't trust your users. Because they aren't going to be your users. These days, accounts are far too easy to compromise. Um, there are so many ways to do it, included is social engineering, session stealing, people using the same passwords everywhere, and most importantly, keyloggers. Um, all of these are real problems, and they're not as uncommon as you'd like to think. We've even had reports of people bringing their laptops with keyloggers installed to the users of our system and asking them to log in. Um, So, if this doesn't quite scare you, like it does me, um, then you must know something I don't, and I'd love to hear from you afterwards about what it is that's making you so happy. Um, So yes, I'm still scared out of my wits, and that's all because authentication is a really hard problem, and unfortunately, I have no solid solution for that quite yet. But that doesn't mean we can't do anything about it. For these particular problems, there are some things we could do to mitigate the risk. Um, for things like social engineering, you can make sure nobody ever gets out their account information. This includes staff and users. For things like dictionary passwords, you can install things like password restrictions that make sure people insert numbers or symbols into their password. Um, for a lot of the other things, you can just make sure your users are well informed and know the best practices for security. Um, whether they'll listen or not is an entirely different story. Um, now, all of these things are actually good things for you to do, and you should be doing them. But that, to be honest, all of these things aren't really enough. Um, what we learned through experience is that we have to accept that this happens. At the end of the day, your accounts will get compromised.
2: Um, and
1: we as developers, we have to be prepared for it. Luckily, um, the attack on EE didn't result in any sort of data loss, but it did prompt us in some ideas on how to mitigate the risk in the future. Um, One of the first things we have to do is to make sure that none of your users ever have more access than they need. This kind of seems obvious phrased the way that it is, but you'd be surprised how often we overlook this thing. Um, For us, um, in particular, it meant that we should disable HP on our course websites, Um, but this applies to far more than our particular case. Um, Really this is a question of authorization. And to address it, we really have to go back, review our tools, and make sure users don't have more access to various resources than they actually need to. Um, It's actually fairly easy to manage to find yourself accidentally leaving a page or two unprotected and vulnerable to attack. Aside from that, one of the most beneficial things you could really give yourself is good logging. Now, logging, again, seems to be one of those things that isn't entirely important until you actually really need it. On the attack on EEE, logging actually provided um, a tr- was tremendously helpful in providing information about who the attacker was and what the attacker had done. Um, from the logs, we were actually able to tell that um, not too much was not too much, but a couple system passwords, which of course we changed, were stolen, and that there was really no data leakage on our system. Um, but logs can also serve a dual purpose. Um, They can help identify and expose when something out of the ordinary happens. Now the problem with that is that we can't really be expected to be watching our logs all the time. But the thing is, we don't really have to. Um, On EEE, we provide one of one of our features we provide on some of our more sensitive tools, such as Gradebook, is user facing logs. Now, these logs are hopefully there to provide enough information for our users to determine whether their accounts have been compromised. So, what this would allow us is instead of having our one developer looking over logs, making sure nothing happens, we have thousands of eyes of our users watching these logs and making sure that nothing has gone awry. Now, having good authorization and logs doesn't exactly save you from the entire problem, but it does help um, mitigate some of the risks when this thing inevitably does happen. And it'll really just help us sleep at night, and what more can we really ask for?
0: Okay, so we now know that we can't trust user input, we can't trust the user, but you know the, the developer is actually um, oftentimes just as responsible for security issues. Um, the, the problem with, with programmers is that we tend to be optimistic people. Um, are there any programmers in the audience today? Okay, how many of you are optimistic people? How many have ever uh, underestimated an issue. It would take you uh, the time it would take you to fix an issue. Okay, so we're all on the same page, so that's that's good. Um, you know, optimism affects every aspect of our work. Um, fortunately for for the more experienced programmer, we we know this and we try to compensate for that by padding time estimates and um, doing things of that nature because we know things are. We know things that are gonna go wrong, and we can't always account for the unexpected. Um, security is a slightly different issue. We tend to take a more reactive approach to security. It's not something we can, we can visibly see immediately. It, oftentimes when we find out about a hole, it's already too late. Um, the metaphor I always like to use when I talk to people is, um, it's kind of like our health. We know we should be exercising, we know we should be eating healthy, um, but it's it's easy to just pick up that burger or eat that pizza. Um, oftentimes when problems start arising, it's it's already, um, it's a result of us not taking care of ourselves, and that's kind of how security is too. Um, it's easy to forget about, but it's, it's always there, and we always have to make sure that we're careful about it. Um, so like I said, sometimes holes in the application are exposed not by the attacker, but by the programmers themselves. Um, about six months ago, we actually had an incident where um, one of our applications was released to the production server without um, without security enabled. Um, by security, I mean it wasn't authenticating the users. Um, at UCI, we have this application called WebAuth, which we use all throughout campus in most of our web applications, and what it does is any any staff, faculty, or student who has um, what, what we call a UCI net ID is able to use WebAuth to authenticate themselves and log into the system. So this particular application was mistakenly released to the server without WebAuth enabled. Um, this led to the application being open to basically the whole world. Um, and the way we found out about this was actually we were really really fortunate. We were very lucky actually because there was a former UCI student who, who coincidentally he works as a QA engineer, and he, for whatever we, for whatever reason, was googling his own name, and he came across our application in the Google search results. Um, we were lucky because he did this. We were also lucky because he was. Nice enough to inform us of this. Um, he actually found out about it. I would say a month, a month after this this happened. Um, if he hadn't found it, who knows how long it could have been out there? Could have been months. Could have been half a year. We don't know. But we're lucky that he found he found it and that he told us. So the first thing we did, um, we had to look through the logs. We started with the logs, uh, the web server logs and the SQL logs and. This was this was a, a arduous task because we had to basically try to reconstruct what the visitors of this application were doing. We had to look in the web logs, find a, a certain date and time, and then refer cross-reference that with the SQL log to see what pages they were accessing, what data they were um, retrieving. Um, we found that. There were 49 unique IP addresses from visitors, with the majority of them coming from search engine bots. This was actually actually a good and bad thing. It was good because that meant that the majority of the visitors were from the bots themselves. It was bad because this meant that the the search engines had probably cached the pages, which they did. So uh, the first thing we did is we actually had to contact each search engine and we had to ask them to remove uh, the page. Fortunately, only one page of this application was cached. Um, And I I think I may have forgotten to mention this, but this application basically contained students about, or information about students, and so this is why it was a little sensitive. Um, So the next question at hand was, do we inform the students, and ultimately the answer to this question was yes, because there were nine IP addresses which we couldn't identify. That meant that there were people out there we, we didn't know who were who had been um, exposed to this data. Um, the next step was for us to, to create emails to send to these students. Um, this was difficult as well, because not the same data was exposed for each student. There were different subsets of data exposed um, actually, having having these logs actually created more work for for those of us who were doing the research, but ultimately it saved a lot of work um, for for the management um, because the the dean of our department was actually involved. She was actually very involved in this. She wanted to make sure the students were informed properly and also that the students. Um, knew that they were in good hands. She wanted to be the main point of contact, which meant that she would be the one whose email address was on the from field in the emails. She wanted to receive the, the emails personally from the students. Um, so have, so going through the work of looking at the logs was beneficial to us because it, gave, it empowered her to have the information to tell each student what data was e- exposed. Um, so after these Emails were sent out. We were fortunate in that only a handful of students actually replied. Most of them, most of them were actually very grateful. Um, I don't think we received any emails with with any students complaining or any angry emails. Most of them were just very thankful, and they weren't they weren't worried at all. They were really just grateful for us telling them. So what did we learn from this? Um, despite what a lot of programmers like to think, they're actually human too. You know we do make mistakes. Um, and I think it's okay that programmers make mistakes, but it's, but it's important that we, we come up with systems to catch these mistakes. and you know code audits and a solid QA process are, are very important. and that may seem obvious. but when you're working with a small team with limited resources, and other priorities, um, it's, it's easy to forego some of these things just to get the work done and just to get the application out there, but as we've learned, that's, you, know, you really can't take shortcuts when it comes to security. Um, ultimately, you will get burned, and that's what we learned with this incident. Um, so overall, in general, it, I, I think it's just extremely important that all programmers understand how attacks occur, where vulnerabilities lie in your application, you may be able to tell one of your programmers, "Hey, you know this is a vulnerability. This is how you fix it." And even if they don't understand the problem, they can still go, they can still go through the motions and secure the code without really knowing what they're doing. But um, this obviously isn't good because if they come across a piece of code that is not secure and they don't understand what's going on, they're not gonna be able to instinctively recognize that there's a problem there. For the programmer who knows what's going on, they're gonna be able to recognize that that hole and hopefully be able to fix it. Um, The other thing that developers must do is they must adopt the now rather than later mentality, meaning that instead of thinking that you can just skip security practices and come back to it later on, um, it's better to just build the application with security in mind in the first place. No, no programmer I know likes to go back to their application and rewrite code to make it more secure. It's, it's boring, it's tedious, it's time-consuming, and because of all of those things, it's easy to make mistakes when you're, when you're trying to implement um, more secure code. So it's, it's just better to, to write secure code from the get-go.
1: Alright, so first off, I just want to give a quick little disclaimer about this section. Um, Frameworks aren't bad. Um, This section is more of a little bit of a warning, more than it is some deep rooted problem like we've been talking about before. So, frameworks are a good thing. Um, Really, they help your application get off the ground much faster. They'll often let you express more with less words. And a lot of them often even give you some security for free. But herein lies the problem. Many frameworks are often too good at this, um, and, and it'll help um, our developers get into a rhythm where we stop paying too much attention to security. It, lets, it makes it far too easy for us to tell ourselves that, oh, we don't have anything to worry about because our framework will handle this problem. And well, most of the time, we will be right, but it only takes that one time that we do slip up that our entire security becomes compromised. In EEE, we use an implementation of active record called PHP Doctrine. Um, like most other active record implementations, it likes to attract away the SQL and provide accessors and magical finders for us to be able to get to our data. Um, in addition to all of that, um, Doctrine also provides something called SQL, DQL, which is more or less their own particular parsed version of SQL. Um, because of this, we started to trust um, PHP doctrine um, that it would help us and abstract away SQL enough that we were safe from SQL injections. Well, this caused our coders to become lazier, our code reviewers to start glancing over bits and pieces. Things slipped by, and long story short, we got caught with our pants down. Um, we found ourselves one day being probed for tables with the column name, password. Kenny already explained all the details about SQL injections and all of that, so I'm not going to go over all that again. But I just want to make sure that you, when you are developing, even with frameworks, that you're still aware of security and that you don't let your guard down. Um, I just also wanted to note um, the one tool that actually saved us here was MyTop. Um, what that provides is a quick little snapshot of the current queries running inside MySQL. One of our sysadmins, being as OCDSE is, noticed a long query running on MyTop and um, If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have as quick as a turnaround time in blocking his IP and making sure that the security hole was fixed. So, In addition to all that we've talked about, there are still a couple tools I wanted to mention, um, one of which is a web scanner. Um, Web scanners are essentially little tools that will crawl over your website looking for your links, looking for your forms and then it'll start throwing all sorts of attacks at it. Um, It has a big, giant database of attacks that it knows about, and it'll just run through every single one and gather up all the responses that your web server gives it and give you a nice, big, giant report for you to work through at the end. Um, At um, NAX, our security team actually runs um, a particular version of this called AppScan. We've run the tool on our own very own website, and we've had hundreds of hundreds of um, vulnerabilities that returned. Not all of them were exactly valid, but we did work through all the important ones, and those securities are now closed. Um, it is something I do suggest you actually look into. Um, another classification of tools is called an application firewall. An application firewall, unlike the typical firewall you're used to hearing, works on the application OSI layer. Um, What this means is that all the traffic and content coming in and out of the application is analyzed by this system, and depending on whether it looks like an attack, it will either log or block them.
2: Um,
1: At EEE, we employ the particular version, which is an open source version called ModSecurity. This is actually an Apache module, and um, it does have a lot of potential in protecting your system. for example, inside the PHP doctrine example that we just gave earlier, um, we actually had it running in log-only mode. Um, that's because we were still doing some configuration, making sure it was, all getting, it was all working, getting set up. But had it actually been running, we would have actually been able to block the attack and not have to have worry about it. The thing is about application firewalls, though, is I don't want you to take it as a primary source of security. It actually should just be a safety net and something that you look at afterwards. So for more information about anything we've talked about, um, there's one group of people called the Open Web Application Security Project that um, focuses primarily on web application security. Um, it includes far more attacks than we talked about, goes into far more in-depth. And as a matter of fact, um, UCI is actually having a conference soon. And um, I want to call up Neil onto the table and give you a quick spiel about that. Hi, Neil. I work uh, the
0: Organization that focuses specifically on web application security and pretty much nothing else but sort of an all encompassing approach to it. Um, August 26th at the East Miramon campus, we'll be holding a full day conference. Uh, we have experts from industry, a couple people from higher ed coming in. Um, we'll be giving talks such as comprehensive security <coughs> programs, um, security metrics, um, lots of OWASP tools such as. The YCE is one presentation we'll be having, which is, you know, it contains a bunch of tools. You know, there's web scanners, there's firewalls, there's everything on this. Um, so I, I encourage you guys all to come down and, and join. Um, there's a bunch of flyers up here. The information is also on the OWASP website. And if you have any questions about it, feel free to ask me presentation. Where was it? It'll be at the Sierra
1: On, yeah. <coughs> it's also included on the thing. It's just the two other applications i mentioned. And that's really it for our presentation. Thank you for listening. And if you have any questions,